Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here at Cranberry.fm. It's the 20th of October, 2016. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we got an exciting show to, for you today. Later in the show, we have the Vice President of Web Strategies at WP Engine, David Vogelfold, coming on. Uh, we actually conducted the interview yesterday because uh, David was, uh, wasn't able to make the show today. So uh, just a quick note to listeners, if it sounds a little weird, it's because we always do our shows live. And uh, I don't know about you, Dave, but like doing a recorded interview just doesn't uh, – the interview was great with David. The amazing information. Do you, do you ever feel weird doing a pre-record? I do. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's those ones that make total sense where you're doing your five, 10 minute ones, you're attending a conference or something. And those ones seem perfectly normal. But yeah, when you're doing one well in it or like in advance for a show that I'm used to doing live, it does feel a little weird. Fortunately, and I, I think you'll agree here, uh, David, super personable, some, some great information. So during the interview, it felt very natural, mm-hmm. but it still seems kind of odd to be doing a, to, to have a pre-record. Well, you know, what's funny, had uh, had we done the interview today, I would have wanted to talk to him about an article that was in Search Engine Land, uh, written by Don Anderson, uh, why crawl budgets and URL scheduling might impact rankings and website migrations, because we talked a heck of a lot about website migrations with him yesterday. <laughs> we did, yeah. Um, okay, so we got David Vogenfold coming up at the uh, after first break. Next week, we got... Uh, one of my SEO heroes, Raya Drysdale, CEO of Outspoken Media, um, definitely an SEO warrior, coming in to, uh, to chat. What are we, I don't know what we're going to be talking about with Raya, but it's going to be interesting. I know that much. <laughs> uh, and it was a pretty busy week in the search world this week. A um, lot of uh, information that was coming out from PubCon and more, uh, more tellingly, a lot of interpretation of information that was coming out from PubCon. It's funny, you, you, you'd think that the best interpretation of any information that came out from PubCon might come from the guys at Google, but <laughs> no. <laughs> um, one thing that did come from from, uh, from Google, this came from a, uh, a hangout that uh, John Mueller was holding the other day. Since the release of the latest iteration of Penguin, uh, you know, you know, Dave Hill, Penguin... Um, is, is no longer penalizing entire sites. It's just sort of like demoting the value of what it considers to be individual dodgy links. Yeah. So you remember how, like, uh, back in the day, before they started really analyzing links, you could use, like, a blog roll or a uh, all-in, all, you know, total in-site, site-wide links? Mm-hmm. And that would give you a, a, a definite boost, if not a great boost. Well, then penguins happened, and you know we knew it was a link evaluation, something or another, and people were losing ranking, and so people were disavowing or just getting rid of entirely their blog roles, site-wide links and such, or they were no following them. 
As of uh, the advisement as of now is there is no need to disavow blog roll or site roll, site-wide links. You don't got to know follow them. You don't got to do anything to them because Google's not going to pay attention to them. Which is great. At least to me. Um, because what it comes down to, again, and, and this Google keeps telling us this, and I, I get that it's a, it's a really, really tough thing for them, but they've kept telling us over and over and over again, if it's good for the user, do it. Okay. So now, now they're actually hitting a scenario where, yep, there's these, these types of links that might serve a user in some instances, um, but that you couldn't do anyway because you needed to, to fear them. Well, okay, now, now it appears we won't have to. Um, okay, that said, there are amazing uses of site-wide links. Um, yeah. think, of, think of the site-wides you'd, you'd find in a footer statement, for instance. That helps people get around, uh, around your website. It's useful to the user. Um, I don't think we'd ever say don't use them, um, but don't think you're going to get any ranking value off them. You could use any anchor text you want to use. It's not going to make much of a difference, except it'll help your it'll help your site user get from point A to point B to point Z and back again. And that's that's what's from a uh, usability standpoint. That's what's way important. Um, Google doesn't really care <laughs> as long as uh, as long as it's useful. Um. What else do we got here? Where do you want to go, Dave? Well, you know what? I uh, The big exciting thing to, to me, anyway, well, one of the, uh, there's been a few of them. Um, but Google Flights, mm-hmm. um, love it. Um, now, they've added in, so keep your eyes on it and understand that all data is flawed. They've actually added in, and we've had two stories that involve Google prediction. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But this one uh, involves flights. And basically, you can enter in your, your location, as, as you were able to at Google Flights, but it's now starting to give you notices and predictions on, you know, this flight's going to go up in an estimated eight hours based on their historical data, um, that sort of thing. So, And also predict when is going to be the cheapest purchase point um, of a specific flight or of a specific trip and give you some additional advice. So that I found really, really interesting, something I think to be wary of for our um, listeners who might be, you know, using it to, to plan trips is – the fact that they're now saying there's a prediction in place is going to skew their predictions, right? Maybe not <laughs> indefinitely, but right now they're basing it on historical data when they weren't doing that. Now all of a sudden they're going to be telling people what to do. So it, it, the predictions are, are going to naturally be skewed now, especially for the, for the next little while, but eventually it'll play itself out, and I think it's a, a pretty useful feature. Well, certainly. I mean, this, this could – and this, this, this is an interesting point you make about um, AI and predictive technologies. Um, it is a little bit of the tail wagging the dog, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, we, uh, you know, we always are going to hit that, right, with scenarios where, yeah, they're trying to predict it. You know what? I mean, it comes down to just like quantum physics, right, like a, a particle traveling is impacted by the observer, right? Like it, it in fact, changes the way it behaves, based on whether it's being observed or not. This is exactly a case like that. So, you know, I guess maybe quantum computing, but we're not quite there yet. Um, But where the fact that you've told us that there's a prediction in place now is going to adjust how I behave. (laughs) So I'll now react to that, which is going to skew everything that you've measured in the past. It will play itself out eventually. I think once people are used to having this prediction in there, Google will figure out how we all act with this prediction 
um, in place and then get better at it. But I think it's going to be interesting, this first set here where they're going, it's going to go up in eight hours. Nope, because you've just told a bunch of people that. So they're all going to react accordingly and start buying their tickets now, which is going to skew and, you know, might be two hours from now instead that the price goes up. So it'll be interesting to see how the observed affect what's being observed. You know, just another point on that. Uh, I remember when I was on the conference circuit, like full-time speaking at almost every conference I could get to, uh, I felt like I was a professional flyer. Like I was in the air all the time. Um, two weeks out of out of every month, I'd be traveling somewhere, right? And mm-hmm. you begin to get this like edge to you because you know how to use the airports and you know how to use the booking systems. And you know when the good travel days are and the bad travel days are when that on Tuesdays tickets will be cheapest between these hours. You just you just learn these things, right? Right. All that gone. All that years <laughs> of learning stuff just gone. You're now made available to everybody. Oh, I know. I know. Now you're just like everybody else. <laughs> well, worse than that, everybody else is just like me. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, I, I think it is really cool, but again, as you said, it's going to completely wonk the uh, the, the what's the right word? Um, how things are done in travel. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it'll get you a good deal, and um, you know, hopefully, it'll give people good advice. We should also probably remind people that in the early days of, like, you remember uh, Google Maps in the early days when they were giving you directions, and they often, you know, drove people off of uh, bridges that were yeah. out, you know, or drove them into swamps. So remember that when booking your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Um, and you know, what? we're <coughs> we're talking about prediction here. Let's move on to a to another story about prediction. Google adding forecasting and trending data into Keyword Planner. I love uh, this. I love it too. I, I did find, of course, I went in immediately on hearing it. Went in, took, tried to take a peek around. Little caveat for our uh, you know audience members: it doesn't actually work if you're using shared budgets. So unless you have a budget set specifically for a campaign, you can't pull your campaign predict. You can't use that campaign to get predictions on what's going to happen. Um, I, I just discovered that because I love using shared budgets across multiple campaigns that are all tied together. Right? Uh, so. mean, well, that, that would make sense for, 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 for Google, why they would want to have this um, segmented to individual individualized campaigns. I mean, oh. It was all about the data, right? It, well, indeed, and I completely don't blame them because how can you do that, right? You couldn't predict what I'm going to do with this campaign as part of this shared budget because I might be getting more requests from other parts of that shared budget and skew everything with my own activities and, and make sort of invalidate my own data. So I don't blame them for that, but if you are using shared budgets, you won't be able to use this this feature. I wonder how long it's going to take before Google's reg brain develops the voice of Marvin the Paranoid Android. <laughs> oh, seriously, a brain the size of an airplane hangar and I can't figure out Dave Davies. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the one of the things to remember, and I haven't had a chance to do this because I was just playing around with this a little bit before the show, is that doesn't stop you from actually just sort of duplicating your keywords and dumping them in. Right? Yeah. Like you won't be able to pull your campaign data, but you can still just grab your keywords and start to pull some some more aggregated um, results data in. So 
you can get the data, um, but you just can't get it quite as easily if you're using uh, shared budgets. I don't think most people are, but I love them. I use them a lot, so it's it's sort of stunting my abilities in, in a lot of campaigns that I'm working with. Uh, another caveat to the to the listenership: these are early days, friends, so don't do set and forget. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is just this is just predictive stuff, and it's the early days of Google doing something. So they might be right; they're probably right, but they might not be. Um, I would be checking this. Uh, I'm, I'm insanely neurotic. I'd probably be checking this a couple of times a day, maybe even hourly, um, until I felt really comfortable with it. Indeed. And sage advice whenever anything changes from an organic update to yeah, launches of new features. Always good advice. Don't just go, oh, that's it. Change, make your changes and, and run off. Um, you know, hopefully our, our audience, when the expanded text ads came out, you know, didn't go, oh, okay, let's create some new ads. And, well, there we go. I don't need to monitor those. <laughs> off you go. So um, where would you like to head now? I know we, you know, we only have one segment because we got a great guest and, and many stories. This one totally excites me. Um it's almost like it's almost like affiliate marketing world. Say you're a manufacturer, okay? You you make uh, blue widgets and you make amazing blue widgets, and they get sold through hardware stores, okay? You're the manufacturer, not the retailer. So, I mean, normally in the in in this supply chain, the manufacturer makes stuff. The retailers then go and market it themselves and sell it to the to the consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very frequently, it's up to the uh, to the retailer to do the advertising for the products that, that are sold in uh, his or her store, in their stores, right? Yeah. Google has just uh, created an extension to basically give an affiliate location for manufacturers so that they can say that um, my blue widgets are being sold at Rusty's Hardware. Rusty's Hardware. Trust them every time. And... It's my ad. I'm the manufacturer. I'm the blue widget maker. I'm the one who's putting this ad out, and I'm selling more product now because I'm directing people to different locations that are selling my product. But add to that, I can also track who's having the greatest successes in sales. Yeah. I mean, isn't this an outstanding opportunity? And let's be honest, really well-timed for for time of year <laughs> they're launching this feature um but yeah absolutely brilliant i mean the, the example over on the search engine land article sony tv and then they show you the retailers in the area where you can buy a sony tv i think as we head into a fairly busy shopping season where people do search like that sony tv or a specific model number yeah having that uh, that data readily available to the searcher where they can get it and not just have to go to sony and try and navigate through there or you know work their way through retailer websites I think this is a great a great move and obviously a wonderful opportunity for Google to collect a few more cents on the dollar. Oh, yeah. Well, and again, I mean, as a, as, as a product creator, I, I can't wait till I'm able to put out an AdWord saying, my stuff published here. Right. You know? I think that's... Woo! We live in an age of miracles and wonder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got we to gotta get to going to a break here on, uh, on WebCology on Cranberry.fm. Before we go to break, though, I want to remind listeners, next week, we have Rhea Drysdale, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but the week after that, we got Cindy Crumb and the Mobile Moxie team coming in. I believe that is correct. Yeah, this is going to be, uh, we got an interesting few weeks coming up. 
And the week uh, after that will be November 10th. We'll be doing our post-election wrap-up, whatever the heck that's going to look like. <laughs> but until then, friends, stick around. We have David Vogelfull, the uh, uh, chief marketing I'm sorry, Vice President of Web Strategy at WP Engine. He's coming up after the break again next week. Raya Drysdale the week after that. Sydney Crum the week after that. Election wrap-up. Web College is going to be fun for the next few weeks. But on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Web College on Cranberry.fm. we got to take a break. Back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Content for your ears. And everything in between. Cranberry.fm Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone, we're back on Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It's the 20th of October, 2016. We got in the studio with us David Vogelfall, Vice President of Web Strategy at WP Engine. Uh, David, welcome to Webcology. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Uh, before before we dive into the interview, um, just if you give us a quick explanation, what is WP Engine? WP Engine is a managed WordPress host. So basically, we host websites. We only do WordPress, but we optimize essentially everything in our platform to make sure WordPress sites are fast, secure, and available. Fast, secure, and available. Um, fast is really important these days with SEO. Um, actually, the, the, the SEO world is generally as SEOs will after three or four weeks of uh, well, you know, immense change and announcements from Google, mostly most of which came out from uh, from PubCon last week. Uh, David, you were at PubCon. Um, how was uh, how were people's reactions to some of the changes that Google were in, was announcing? 
regarding like the latest penguin update, there were, there was a lot of discussions around you know its effect on SEO. Um, the kind of perception that well. You know, Google's going to be devaluing links rather than than being punitive for them. And personally, I, I think that's the direction to go. Obviously, you don't want to enable folks trying to um, use negative SEO techniques on other sites. I think you also have a lot of business owners, small business owners out there, who've hired an SEO firm in the past. They were they were buying kind of shady links, which at the time, of course, we we know is against this case. They're they're you know webmaster. Um, terms of service or whatever, but the um, you know the the actions of those SEOs were, were essentially harming people in the future, and and again being being ignoring those links rather than punishing you for them, um, there was a bit of consensus around hey that that is a good thing. Um, the other thing that was kind of coming out was well well now that this is the case right now that you you're not essentially being being punished for them, but rather they're being devalued. Then as an Oh, could you start being more brash about the types of links you, you you try to get? In other words, could you start buying them, see which ones are shady, not buy any more of those, buy the ones that appear less shady? And and so it was kind of this blend between, you know, Google's being a little less evil by by not punishing people for things happening outside of their site. Um, but at the same time, you know, did that then open up a door where, where web spam can become a problem? And, you know, this is the Google dance, right? They, they do stuff to squash stuff down and SEOs do stuff to push the... But but that was probably the consensus I I got out of the discussions I had at PubCon. You know, I actually had a had a interesting quick little back and forth with uh, Gary. I, I totally mispronounced his name. I know it. Eyes. That's the best I can I can really do with this um, around Google. And I was asking, sort of based on that same question, sort of started with the with the premise. You know, is there a trust delay? Right? Like, is there sort of some sort of built in? We've caught you doing bad stuff now. Not like the the you got to wait for another ping. Because, of course, it's rolling, but, hey, have you built in some sort of prove you can play nice with the other websites? He had responded back with no, which, you know, matches all the things they were saying. Something interesting that he did say on that front, though, uh, and it's completely unrelated to Penguin, but sort of ties to this mentality of it is, and, and his exact quote is, we do have built-in protection for manipulation. Keep that in mind with a little winky face after that. So I think some of his statements people might be taking is just this, like, no, we're not getting at the same time, he did leave room in that statement for yeah, Penguin doesn't. <laughs> Penguin specifically doesn't. Uh, but they may have some other things going on in there that may may hurt you long term. I only mention that so our listeners can go, we're not telling you just, just run out and, and buy all you can. I know one of and, and Jim, you know who I'm talking about, wants to run some tests, one of our one of our peers, just based on that. <laughs> hey, can you do it? Basically force the penalty. And then, you know, disavow them or pull them all back and, and how fast you recover from there. And it's like, oh, of course, of course we want to like figure out what we can get away with, right? But um, Yeah, and I think it depends it. on, you know, the kind of site that you're working on. Um, you know, if, if you're, you're building a long-term brand, I mean, and, and again, everybody's going to fall on their own side of the fence on this, but I fall on the why, why, why take that risk? I mean, certainly it's a battle. You're trying to get up in the ranks. You're going to kind of push the envelope a little bit, but the, the more risks you take, that domain, the, the more you risk your site long term, um, and you know, I guess if you're an affiliate and you're arbitraging SEO traffic and you got a million sites, fine, go a little crazy if you want to. Um, but you know, again, for for me, building building 
uh, sites and building brands and building their SEO equity, I, I, I tend to go at best off white hat, um, but, but almost certain, uh, most of the time just completely white hat. But again, that, that's just where I fall. And I think it just depends on the type of business you're building. You know, Google is not Ah, you guys know this. Um, you know, you can do whatever you want in terms of how you link back to your site. You know, you're just playing with fire um, with with Google as a traffic source. If you do that in a way that's inconsistent with what they want. David, I, I'm I'm pretty dedicated to to uh, you know white hat SEO. I figure follow the guidelines down the you know straight down the line, and you'll probably succeed if you've got great content. But um, in particular to, to WordPress sites, uh, when you're using a WordPress site. System often, you know, you're you're uh, on a um, content distribution network. Is it critical using WordPress specifically to to, to follow white hat uh, white hat guidelines? Yeah, I mean, again, for me, I, I always try to fall on that white hat side of the fence. Um, you know, as far as CDNs go, content distribution networks, for those in the audience that don't know what that is, basically, it's a network of servers all around the world that distribute bits and pieces your site um, through that network. And, and one of the most common use cases is images. And I, I think that's probably, from, from my standpoint, again, not, not a super expert at CDNs and SEO, but generally speaking, the part that might make me feel a little iffy is, is when I'm trying to really rank in image searches. Because a lot of the things that get distributed in a CDN, again, your, your, your site sits on a server somewhere in some data center, and then bits and pieces of it are distributed in all these other servers around the world to make the data faster. Well, the images in a lot of CDN configurations will resolve to a CDN subdomain. So it'll be like, you know, mm-hmm. um, images.cdn domain, whatever. Um, so my view is, you know, if you're trying to rank in Google Images, you can do a C name to basically have those images still resolve at your primary domain name. And so I only really sweat it when I'm trying to rank in Google Images. Now, um, I also personally don't get wrapped around the wheel of, Oh, I think that if my images are on my domain too, that'll raise my organic rankings in the web results and in, in, in Google. Um, that may or may not be true, but but I've not had a whole lot of problems ranking running CDN, running sites with CDNs where my images were resolving to subdomains. Maybe somebody's done an experiment where they can prove otherwise, but but I haven't seen it like have a significant impact one way or the other. Um, but yeah, if you want to rank for Google Images, um, certainly having it resolved to your own domain is helpful. Uh, most CDN configurations will support that. Now, I'm going to jump in with a, I, I'm going to try not to make this a leading question, but I'm going to hope for the answer that you're going to say. <laughs> but I'm going to try not to lead the answer I want. To. <laughs> Just text me the answer, I'll tell you what it is. Um, one of the, um, you know, sort of constant debates that we get, and I mean, I, I work in WordPress, my site's in WordPress. Uh, I'll be honest, my, my site's toasted at WP Engine. <laughs> so that's, you know, there we go. Um, so, when talking to developers and talking to really anybody with a with a solid technical knowledge base about whether to go with WordPress when they're looking at a, at a new site design is if you purchase a theme it has all this this code in there even at the core you're going to end up with code you don't want it's going to be sort of slicker if you just don't um, so if you went with more uh, a custom solution or, or something like that now at the and we're looking at WordPress powering such a vast, like a vast number of, of websites. I think twenty six plus percent at this point. Do you think the familiarity that Google has with WordPress code helps it outweigh any detriments by having that 
that extra code in there. You know, I, I mean, as far as Google's knowledge of WordPress, I mean, certainly they, they've gone through, you know, kind of, uh, in, a, in a sense, line by line. They understand the platform really, really well. Their spiders and their algorithms, like, they're not looking at the WordPress part, of course. They're looking at the rendered code that spits out on the page. So, um, you know, I think where you get a lot of concern from developers when, when you start talking about WordPress as a platform, first of all, is, is, is speed, right? Is it going to be fast? Um, we address it in a, in a variety of ways. We have CDNs. We have caching uh, in the server level. Um, we have special Nginx and so WordPress can actually be very, very fast. As a matter of fact, with the release of PHP 7, and if, you're, if your website, your WordPress site is compatible with PHP 7, then you can actually move into an environment that supports it, and it actually speeds it up even more. So, so speed isn't really a problem if you, if you take the right approach with it. The other question that comes up is code bloat, right? And that's, I think, maybe a little bit what you were getting at there, which is, well, there's all this extra code that I don't need, right? If you, if you look at core, for example, um, it has categories and tags. Well, if you're making a website that doesn't need categories and tags, all that extra code and core is is, is not useful for you. Um, that is true. Um, and and you know if you think about it, like what's the most what's the fastest web page there is? Well, it's it's a hand coded HTML page with no CMS behind it because there's nothing to build behind the scenes. It's just there and it's ready to load, right? And so the trade off is you know are, are you going to get paid from WordPress that are conversion rates and keeping those visitors on the site. And then, of course, the question is, is speed and familiarity with your development process, right? A hand-coded page that's made for a very specific purpose, that is the most, by definition, you know, going to fit the specs and not have anything extra. But that's not always the most efficient way to get things done. Um, WordPress developers, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of them around the world. I'm not saying they're all great. Some of them aren't. A lot of them are. And then there's some, you know, those in the upper echelon. But there's a lot to choose from. There's a lot of options to have. If you build that, quote, perfect scenario where you have a developer that codes something just for that purpose, that's it. That person is the one that understands how that was built, or that team was the one understands how that was built. So if you have an in-house team that's built this for you, and your key person quits, or a couple of key people quit, then whoever comes in behind them has to unstitch every built. And then, of course, if you use an agency and they go away, you have the exact same problem. And so instead of having a, a universe of you know hundreds of thousands of people who know how to make stuff using your platform, you essentially have one, two, or three folks who know how to do it. And then anybody that comes in behind them has to reverse engineer what they did and then figure out how to build on top of that and improve it. Um, of course, the other big advantage is, is really the, the giant universe of themes and all the develop- and plugins and themes and those people folks making things to add into WordPress. And so, for example, when Google announced AMP, there was a WordPress plugin overnight. But if um, if you had that on an internal platform, what you would do is you would go over to your dev team and you'd say, hey, we want AMP. And they say, great, we're going to add that to our backlog. <laughs> and then you have all the stuff they're normally doing to keep the platform in line. You have all the other ideas you came up with before. And then AMP now is like living somewhere in the backlog. And so your ability to be reactive 
to the evolution of the web is really dependent on your team's capability to make new things. And with WordPress, you know, you can get amped, you know, the day after it's announced, for example. I mean, granted, that probably wasn't the best plugin ever. My point is that it evolves with the web. It's not static and it's not dependent on your backlog. So that's, that's my thought on that. Again, the perfect page, you're right, is one built for just you, just your use case. But that doesn't necessarily mean operationally or strategically that's the right decision. Well, and to add to what you were saying, David, you have uh, hundreds of thousands of developers out there uh, making uh, plugins for WordPress and, you know, updating their plugins. Uh, something that, that we would want to caution webmasters, if you're going to be using plugins, make sure they're compatible with the most recent version of WordPress or something weird might happen. But speaking of weird things happening, well, one of the concerns about WordPress is, and it's a constant concern, is security. Um WordFence put out an alert today suggesting that there's a couple of other plugins that if used, hackers can work their way around WordFence. What does WP Engine do uh, around security or, or recommend around security? Yeah, so security is a really interesting question. Certainly there's things we do from a platform perspective, but generally speaking, I guess to kind of kick it off would be certainly keep your plugins updated. A lot of updates, many updates, I don't even know if the majority probably is, include some sort of security. So if you see that your plugin needs to be updated, look at the release notes, see if security's in there, and then definitely update it. There's this, uh, there's this common thing people do with WordPress, and they're like, I don't want to install the plugin. I don't want to update WordPress because it might break my site. That's kind of true. It's true a lot of the time, of course. Um, but much of the time, it's not true. It's not going to break it. And then again, if those updates contain security updates, you don't have a choice. Like, I would rather have a broken site than a hacked site. I mean, much, much more dangerous to have a hacked site. Well, yeah, so, serving up malware is kind of embarrassing, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just even looking at, like, the Panama Papers, that uh, vulnerability, the re- the way they accessed that server was through um, essentially an outdated plugin. And so, you know, if that if the team managing that had been keeping it up to date, then, then that vulnerability wouldn't have been available. Let's say they might not have gained access in some other way, but my point was that keeping it up to date is very important. Um, if you're a WP Engine customer, we have a, a, a button inside of WordPress that creates a, a copy of the site. It's called one-click staging, and you can click on it, and it'll create a copy. You can then update the plugin, test to make sure it doesn't break anything, push it to production, and then roll it back if it still messes something up. And then if you're not a WP Engine customer, there's a service called WP Stagecoach that's a plugin that kind of gives you the same function, similar functionality. Uh, but just make sure to keep this site than a hack site. Now, that that reminds me of a big problem I, I, I came across about two months ago. I got this new client, uh, WordPress site, not sitting on WP Engine. And uh, the original developer, and I guess the original developer had acted as webmaster for several months, and they never used the child theme. Not, you know, they were working on their you know raw template. So I inherited this mess, and it was a big, big massive like spaghetti with dog turds on top of it and uh so so in trying to work with the website i broke it frequently frequently you know patched it together again with bubble gum and stuff um so you were talking about you know the the, the security feature word uh wp engine has you'll, you'll make a copy of the site had i come to you with that problem would you been would you have been able to have helped me a couple of months 
was tearing what remains of my hair out. Yeah, I mean, we 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 provide pretty deep WordPress support. Um, with you know, what we don't necessarily get into is oh, you need to do this to your theme to fix it or that, right? So it's kind of a slippery slope between consulting with web development and supporting our customers. What we generally do is if you're having trouble with the site, we will help you identify what the problem is, and then we we may or may not be the group that that helps you implement the solution. So if it's around and things like that. If it was breaking the site, we, we might help you isolate that that were the case. But, you know, at, oh, well, you need to do this to your child theme or that. That that part is not something as a, as a hosting platform we, we get into. Um, but, you know, with, with security, we, we do a lot of things. Um, we have a list of plugins that are, that are banned from our platform. Matter of fact, I hear this a lot, like, oh, you have these banned plugins. Um, yes, we absolutely do. <laughs> um, we ban them for three reasons, generally. Um, the first would be a security it's it's a known security threat. Um, it's it's caused problems for our customers or other people that we've become aware of. Um, we ban plugins for performance reasons. So sometimes plugins will misbehave and, and take up too many server resources, slow down your sites. If you're on a shared plan, show down, slow down sites around you. And then um, the third reason is that it's a good plugin, but it just happens to conflict with some things we do on our platform. So a good example of this, and this this plugin is no longer on the ban list, but it. Uh, Faster. It helps with like minification and um, all kinds of other crazy stuff. And, it, and one of the things that it helped with was caching, which is part of our platform. And it conflicted. So if you mm-hmm. installed it on our platform, um, it just wouldn't work right. And so we banned it for that reason. Uh, but we worked with the developer, and, and when you install the VP Rocket on our platform, that caching component of the plugin basically is turned off. Everything else is left on. So the combination and WP Rocket can actually help make your website really fast. Um, but again, we have these ban plugins. But again, one of the reasons we ban them is security. We also do vulnerability scanning on our cluster. So we look for known PHP vulnerabilities, which could be in any plugin. And then we also um, utilize Cloudflare to monitor for you know incoming attacks from the outside and, and known attack vectors and all that kind of stuff. So we are proactive with it. Um, and we, we also assist with, with kind of making sure if we, if we know... Granted, we don't know about all the insecure plugins, but if we know about it, we, we prevent our customers from installing them. Okay, uh, David and, and friends, if you, if you don't mind, we're going to have to take a short break here on Webcology, uh, do a quick commercial message. So, uh, friends, you're listening to Webcology. It's the 20th of October, 2016. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we have uh, on the line, we have uh, David Vogelfall, who's the uh, Vice President of Web Strategy engine we're going to be back after these messages sit tight and don't move webcology we'll be back after this short break Literature is taking over Miami streets. Between November 13th and the 20th, downtown Miami will transform into a full-week celebration of the literary arts. More than 500-plus authors are coming to share their new work at the 2016 Miami Book Fair. The Porch is open every evening, complete with a full schedule of live music and performances, a farmer's market and cafe, food trucks, craft beer, and more. For more information on the 33rd Miami Book Fair, November 13th to the 20th at Miami-Dade College's Wolfson Campus in downtown Miami, call 305-237-3258. 
or visit MiamiBookFair.com. Follow Miami Book Fair on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Miami Book Fair. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Pick out some new favorite podcasts now at Cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone, we're back here on Webcology on Cranberry.fm. It is the 20th of October, 2016. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we're joined by David Vogelfold. Um, Vice President, Web Strategies at WP Engine. Uh, Dave, you were to, about to jump in with a question. We had to go to break. Uh, I was, I was. I know there's a lot of ground that I want to cover, and as usual, when we've got a great guest, you know, I know I'm going to run out of time. Um, David, you had done a webinar with uh, John Henshaw. We chatted with him a, a few weeks ago about his part um, in that. Um, while on, you were doing your presentation, um, what you were really covering was a, a website migration checklist. So let's let's chat a little bit about that. You're a person you need to move either to a to a new domain. You know, you're looking to to switch a new site. That is a, a great time to, I think, why you, this is of interest to you, a great time to start thinking about your hosting because, hey, it's a lot easier to build it <laughs> on a new environment where you know it's going to work, so it is a good time to, to consider that switch. Um, you listed 11. Now, I, I mean, I, I've got you know my favorite few, but what, in, in your words, what are the, the core um, things that you really should be, should be thinking of uh, when, you're, when you're migrating your site, either from one host to another or just you know, you're, you're tearing the whole thing apart, building a new site, and, and off you go? Yeah, I mean, there were like you mentioned, there were eleven things in that list. I, I think that maybe, like, if I had to boil it down to just the the two main themes, um, I, I think the first is you know making sure that you have your DNS switch well planned out, right? If you're if you're just going to switch your your A record, fine, do get get that ready. Don't accidentally switch your your mail record. Your server is going to stay the same. Um, and, and, and really plan that out well. Set your time to live on your DNS low. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. But basically, it's it's the, the caching setting that you announce to the DNS record to say, you know, my domain name points to this IP address. And, and you can announce that, that they should store that for a shorter period of time. Now, now DNS servers may ignore those requests. Um, but, but one of the things in prep for a move from one server to another, your, your, your time to live time will low. Um, so that's that's one thing, is be really mindful about how you switch the DNS. I remember I was speaking at a meetup once, and I got a frantic call from a customer. Their email had been down for hours, and um, and this was at another company in the past, and uh, one of the engineers had moved the entire d- d- domain record um, over to the new host <laughs> and had hosed the email. So uh, that, that was not fun, getting ready to get on stage and, and helping this customer put out a fire. 
Um, but we resolved it for them. But don't don't be that guy, right? Don't don't be the person that does a switch and kills everybody's email. Um, and then the other big thing is really just how to manage your redirects. And this is really more for when you're doing a redesign, or maybe you're moving your CMS from say um, like a hand coded site into WordPress, or or from this to that. And and the reason that's important is a lot of the times when you do that, you actually change the naming structure of your site. So um, we'll try to imagine this for a minute. If you go to, I don't know, uh, this guy's going to wonder why all these people just came to a site, davidsblog.com or something like that, <laughs> and, and in a hand-coded site, it, it might be like forward slash category name, forward slash page name, dot PHP, right? This is a pretty common page name for maybe a hand-coded PHP site. But in WordPress, you're not going to have that dot PHP thing at the end. And then you may also build your site in a way that doesn't use the category. Um, subdirectory, you know, forward slash category name, forward slash page name. So each time you do that, when you when you take off the .php or you remove the, the category subdirectory, well, links that you have to those pages need to be up, uh, need to point to the right place, right, for SEO value and of course just for traffic flowing into your site. Now, and your site itself is usually not a big deal because your developer will kind of account for that and make sure that your internal links are changed to the new links. External links generally, of course, very, very difficult to change. So you need to implement 301 redirects. And, and I'm guessing this crowd knows what that all is, but basically it's it's a way of redirecting an old URL to a new URL. And the challenge comes up with, well, well, how do I do that? And the, the, the way that you approach it is one, when you move in, when you rename your page structures, you try to do it in a, in a way that has a pattern. And the reason you want to do that is because when you write your rules in your HD access file, uh, for example, the rule that would say, well, if you see a page name with .php on the end of it, just redirect it to the exact same page name without .php. Well, that can handle millions of redirects in about two lines of code, right? Two, three lines of code. Right. But if you if you significantly change it in a way that there's no pattern, well, then you have to literally go through page on the old site and find the URL for the page on the new site and then do one 301 redirect for every page. And in that presentation, I actually gave a link to a Google spreadsheet that can kind of help you do it. But the gist is old URL on the left, new URL on the right, and then give the spreadsheet to your developer and they'll make an HD access file. And those things can get really, really big. And depending on how your server is handling those HD access files in, in that kind of very large redirect scenario, um, Actually, slow down the load time for visitors because the way that the server reads the HD access files, it literally reads everything until it finds a rule that or until it finds a rule that matches. And so, if you have you know ten thousand of them, it's going through all ten thousand lines every single time, and and that's that's inefficient. So, my number one advice is before you do the redesign, before you do the CMS migration, before you change your page name structure. In, in your strategy, do it in a way where there's a pattern, because if you don't do it in a pattern, you're in for a world of hurt. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, one of the things that you mentioned um, that I, I really loved, and I, I, I think it's just under, under thought of in, in some cases, and, and one of the points you said is keep your titles and descriptions the same. Now, I mean, everybody, why wouldn't I just change those all? And, and, and what you were meaning by that, and, and I think it's, it's spot on, um, is if you, you know, basically you're changing your entire website, if there are things that can remain the same, yeah, you might change your title and descriptions later. 
you can just launch it until areas of concern if you need to dig out what's causing a problem or what's causing a gain. I know I've launched sites at non-critical times, right? Launching a site right after a, a major season, right? For a company that really won't care about their website rankings for another four or five months from now. I, I've even left where, you know, if we can keep most of the content the same, that'll be great. We'll have our new content ready, but let's just launch this thing more or less as it was, see what the new site does, and then start changing the content. How important is that? Just as controlled deployment and understanding specifically what's going right and wrong. I think it depends a little bit, of course, on the site you're optimizing. If you're optimizing for an accountant site that's six months old and doesn't have any rankings or anything, like who cares, right? Like why, why get obsessed about it? Um, but if you have a site with some, you know, SEO equity and things like that in there, and you're, you're concerned about losing it, if you change a bunch of stuff, it's kind of like an A/B test, right? If you change your call to action, if you change your primary image, if you change your price, and it bombs, which of those things was the reason for that, right? Sometimes it doesn't matter, right? Sometimes you just make big changes and wait for something big to happen, you know, positive or negative. But in in this case, and in a, in, in a redesign or a CMS migration, there's a lot at stake, right? It's not a landing page where you can just like flip it back to the old version or something like this is a big deal and so if it does bomb why did it bomb i remember we did a deploy once for a major motorcycle racing platform and i was working with a third-party developer and they the, the site just tanked in google news and we had left everything the same thank goodness and so the content and titles and everything, and it, it really helped us isolate the problem. There was a bit of a, uh, a you know fat finger kind of thing, and there was a bunch. All the posts were duplicated. It was a duplicate content issue. But instead of beating our head against the wall, like oh, was it the content? Was it the title tag changes? Was it the page names? Was it this? It, it really limited things we had to check for. And uh, you know, again, what if, what if it does bomb? What if it does tank your SEO rankings? What are you going to do? You know, are you going to go back and, and revert the entire site to back to the way it was? Um, are, are was it the title tags and all the the content that messed it up? Like you don't really know. And so, by by limiting the number of variables you change, it limits the number of variables you have to go check if something goes wrong. Well, we're we're really running out of time here. I, I, I Dave and I both. A dozen questions we want to get in. Um, something critical that came out of PubCon last week was the uh, primacy of mobile in uh, Google's pantheon of stuff that's important. Currently, pl- uh, WordPress as we know it is uh, you know, a pretty desktop-focused environment. Do you know of any uh, useful plugins or new versions of WordPress that are going to be addressing the mobile web? Yeah, I mean, web is is primarily driven by how you build your themes um, you know WordPress in and of itself is a repository for content and in a in a framework for development right there's functions and there's structure and interfaces and things like that there's there's nothing inherent about WordPress that makes it a desktop environment um, and so you know as far as plugins go I, I'm not a huge fan of using plugins to, to make your site mobile friendly if your site developer in there um, to help make your site responsive and, and, and um, to optimize your site for what are called media query breakpoints or basically the point and the width of the screen and how your site looks within that certain widths. And and a developer really needs to go in and, and if your site's not responsive, they need to go into your CSS and your template files and modify them to make your theme responsive. If you're a DIYer, um, you just need to go pick a modern theme. All 
themes are mobile responsive. But there's there's nothing inherent about WordPress that makes it desktop or mobile. It's really just in what you build. It's 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 just a framework that again there, there's nothing inherent about it that's good for mobile or bad for mobile. But if you're looking to mobile optimize your site, I don't even have one to tell you to use a plugin. I, I personally don't think that's the way to go. I know there are plugins that will take, for example, your title and your body content and will put it on a simple design on a page and then fine it's 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 really mobile um, but all modern themes all modern developers are, are building responsive things and so unless you really have an antiquated wordpress theme or a site you built a long time ago um, chances are you're going to be getting something that that is mobile friendly so that, that's my thoughts on it i don't know uh, what what pers- perspective you're coming from where, where maybe that's a little less mobile friendly but that's that's my thoughts you mentioned earlier that there was a plugin to help create amp content for Again, so AMP is really interesting, as you, as, as you folks might know. It's it's a bit of an evolving process, right? Google came out with the announcement. I can't remember it was what, three six months ago, something like that. And you know, in my view of the world, it's kind of interesting because it's like, on, on some level, it's it's kind of a band aid for the fact that we have uh, really slow internet on our phones in North America, and and of course we have a lot of misbehaving webmasters who really terrible mobile experiences, you know, pop-up, takeover ads and stuff like that. And um, and so AMP is a way to basically say, okay, crazy webmasters, let's just boil it down to the stuff people want to read, give them a better experience. That's great for Google and their mobile experience. That's great for the visitor in a sense. And it's great for, you know, folks like Apple and their news app and things like that. Um, but, you know, AMP is also evolving, right? The inclusion of forms and, and how do we handle ad video and things like that, um, these are things that aren't necessarily all full-baked yet or even available. And so AMP is a bit of an evolving platform. There's a a bit of a discussion uh, around folks in the industry, both in WordPress and in SEO, around, well, what is the best solution for AMP? Um, The best solutions I've seen to date, again, have been developers that have gone in and modified their themes, implemented AMP on a a site-by-site basis. Um, But unfortunately, I'm not the guy to ask to say, this is the best plugin for AMP, but it actually is something... Um, my team is actually digging into now. Say, okay, well, what what is available? You know, what what fits in with what we as a company want to see out of it? And then, you know, in, in another lens, like, well, well, what about the rest of the world? What do they want to see? Right? My, my team at WP Engine focuses a lot on our on our internal properties. So we have our own set of needs, but we also look at technologies that apply to our customers. And so, so thinking about AMP in that way. But but again, unfortunately, I don't have the magic one. I wish I knew you asked that question. I could have asked some folks around here who would have had. But um, but that's the best I got on AMP. Well, David, I'm afraid that's the time we have for, for the show this week. Um, uh, David Vogelfall, Vice President of Web Strategy at WP Engine. Man, thank you so much for joining us. It was a, it was a great session. Yeah, this was a blast, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. On that, we're going to have to bring it to a close here on Webcology on CrabBree.fm. So on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media friends we're almost gone but stick around cranberry there's uh great content coming up after the news and we'll talk to you next week the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of cranberry news marketing and cranberry.fm Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 